Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to be Evening, everyone. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. I'm Reg Roberts, your host tonight. And joining, oh, I should say we are the show that's getting you over the advantage line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. Let's not forget our catch cry that we've worked so hard to get out there as a brand. Um, keep it relevant, keep it, uh, you know, on the topic. And, and today there are, in fact, a lot of really hot topics in Australian rugby we want to get stuck into and probably even a bit broader than Australian rugby. And joining me to do that chat tonight is uh, two of our regulars, uh, we've got Hugh and we've got Nick. How are you guys? Nick, let's start with you. How are you going, mate? I'm good. Good to be uh, to be back on the pod for another week. Though I'm slightly jealous because we've been getting images all night from Matt, who's currently in Hong Kong and taking advantage of all the money that Twiggy's been giving him with the new competition that they've got planned out. So, uh, But I'm happy here to fill in and talk rugby. Wouldn't want to be, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. It is, it is very conspicuous, the fact that wasn't he last time he missed the podcast because he was in Perth mm-hmm. and this time he is in Asia? Um, th- there does seem to be potentially something happening there with, with our boy Matt and, and Twiggy. So, uh, you know, let's see how this plays out. Um, Hugh, yourself, we thank you for joining us tonight. How's, how's your rugby week going? There's a bit of drama happening around the place or a bit of activity happening around the place. Yeah, yeah. Look, a, a lot of drama, um, and really getting to the pointy end of the competition. And I mean, I didn't see it coming when Nick sent Brooke home tonight. Um, and you know, with the finale <laughs> tomorrow night, it's it, you know, it's it's really um, it's really hotting up. Sophie and uh, Brittany, the two remaining contestants. And look, I mean, it's it's uh, you know, plenty to discuss, and we could probably go well into it tonight. But I think. That's not on our list of five questions I well, see, I think, that, I think that was number six, unfortunately, Hugh, the, the Bachelor, what's happening on The Bachelor this week. And I'd have to get my sons on to, to, to advocate for me at that stage because I'm not quite up to speed with everything that's going on in that show. But we do have five burning questions. And there are some significant questions. And it actually seems years since uh, that uh, Port Elizabeth test where the Aussies went down to the Springboks. And that's, that is our burning question number one. What went wrong at Port Elizabeth? Uh, we'll get a bit stuck into that. But there's a bit of other stuff going along too. So question two is, what do we make of the Pappy plan or the Brett Papworth letter that was leaked in the media over the last couple of days? And there's been a little bit of stuff happening behind the scenes here at Green and Gold Rugby about that. So we'll get into that. Question three is uh, more sort of, uh, I guess, innovation in the rugby world is the, the new global 12, top 10, 12 uh, competition that World Rugby uh, talking about there in Australia last week. And one of the proposals that's mooted is this top 12 competition and, in fact, a second-tier competition. We want to talk about that. Is that a good thing or bad thing? We don't know a lot of information, but just start chatting about that as well. Question four, more developments. Twee ball. Western Sydney's happening. New Zealand team's involved. Uh, how is that shaping up? Are we getting um, any sort of hope as that, how that may play out and what that looks like? And then question five, an existing competition, the NRC, couple of rounds left. Uh, we just want to see how's that travelling from our perspective. So let's get stuck into it, Hugh. Let's start with you, mate. The uh, the box getting up over the Aussies there, 23-12 um, over in Port Elizabeth. Uh, what went wrong? I mean, let's go start there. It's our, you know, just another loss on the road for us. We beat them in Brisbane a few weeks ago, but um, we never really looked like winning this, and that's even putting aside the, uh, the, the try to the box in the first seconds of the game. Yeah, look, I, th- I think we go down 14-0 in that game and you think, you know, oh, this could be a, a bit of a flogging here. And, and, you know, after 20 minutes, I think it was 14-0. And, and, and you know, I think at that point, it looked like the game was was more or less away from us. But then, you know, we fought back pretty manfully and, and, and just couldn't really get over the line in that last 20 minutes, especially when the Springboks had a man off the off the field. I think, I mean, I'd think it was a, as an improved performance on what we've seen uh, for most of this rugby championship. But in terms of what went wrong, I mean, it's the same old stuff, isn't it? I mean, the line-out just was completely non-functional. And, and you, know, we're, you know, we were winning them, but when Michael Hooper's winning at two, you know, are you really winning anything? Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, then the same old sort of problems with goal-kicking. We had problems with, you know, controlling territory. And then... You know the the occasional moments where we just seemed to be not really in the game, 
um, in terms of our mental space and 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 the, and the decisions that we made. Um, yeah, there, there was there was some good uh, contributions from individual players, but and 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 you know the other thing, you're winning in South Africa in, is tough, and and not many teams have been able to do it over the past forty years, uh, and certainly this team is is in terms of where we rank in in those forty years is probably not one of the best. But um, yeah, I think. That was the frustrating thing, though. In and of itself, I don't think it was a horrible performance. But when you take a step back and look at the context of this season and where the team's at, yeah, it was just more of the same, and that was what made it, you know, pretty disheartening, didn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And look, there's a lot of takeaways there, Nick. I'll come to you in a second. It is a hard one. You know, we want to win. I, I don't think anyone really expected us to win in South Africa and with the team we have at the moment, or at least with the way the team is playing at the moment. And, you know, to be immediately down 7-0 uh, through such absurd sort of, sort of situations, uh, a cutout pass in your own, you know, 22, even less than that, and intercepted and scoring, you know, in the first couple of minutes of the game just seems ludicrous and, you know, the, the next one's, you know, a, a little bit more of a traditional try. But you're right, to come back from that, I think, I don't know if the whole game we played better than previously. I probably were against Argentina. I thought the second half was really lacking, but particularly considering we had sort of, what, 70% of the possession and 80% of the territory in that second half and couldn't do anything with it. I don't think we scored a point that second half. So that, I can't see many positives there. But, um, that, that you know, the, the 35 minutes uh, of this first half after that first try and before that last penalty. Yeah, I agree. I think we did some really good things and and, and um, things looked to be sort of, uh, whether they're coming together or, or there's some, you know, some impressive performances and some good things happening. I thought it was Michael Hooper's best game, which is great to see at least um, running with the ball. We haven't seen that much this year. And I thought while our line-out didn't work well, I thought our defensive line-out worked sensationally. I thought... Uh, our, our forwards coach, um, Big Simon, the Fijian, had been working on the defensive strategy and how we sort of drove them to the sideline. I think we did that really effectively and the box couldn't get up much momentum there. But, um, Nick, from your perspective, were you, were you, you know, when you watched it, you saw that first try from the Beal pass, were you expecting the worst? Yes, I was. And, I mean, it's, it's always hard to win in South Africa, you know, whether you're at altitude or not. And... I, th- I kind of, looking back at the stats after the game, after watching it, it was so fascinating because everything, every pretty much every single stat I saw pointed to what should have been a Wallaby win. Like, for example, meters carried, South Africa only did 282, we did 352, you know, we beat 19 defenders, they only beat 9, possession, they only had 39%, and then in defense, them, which I think is probably the most telling stat... South Africa made 144 tackles to our 74. On top of that, you know, they conceded more penalties. They had a bloke sent to the bin, yet we lose by nine points. And it kind of asks the question, you know, what does that tell us? And going back to, you know, Jamie's ice-cold bucket, it's just that we aren't playing very smart, and South Africa are. They read our game plan really well to a T, um, and... It, it's they just it, it was a combination of, of playing smart but also just that that guts that they showed in New Zealand they defended their guts out and kind of seeing the fact that this time last year South Africa were in a similar spot where we were and I just thought of that contrast and thought it was almost kind of depressing and all the fact that we could do was accept it and but I do take some slight uh, kind of uh, optimism from the fact that how quickly the box are looking to be turning around right now. And it gives me confidence that we can do that around. But then again, that only happened because they changed their coach. And so I kind of honestly finish thinking about this by asking, what does that say? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, was it only 12 months ago we all thought they were a basket coach? Um, and you're right, they changed their coach. But they, And I guess with the coach came some pretty dramatic selection changes too. They've brought in a lot of new players, new captains, um, and, and, you know, a lot of players who, who we hadn't seen much before, and that, they've all stood up, and they're, they're looking, you know, pretty damn impressive. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to use some of their overseas-based players. But, yeah, you, you're bang on right. You know, guys like um, uh, Steph the Toit, the, the Pete the Toit, sorry, the big um, blind side, who's sort of the former lock, who's just now a tackling machine on the side of the scrum, is just sensational, um, let alone their other players. That's the best, and Malcolm Marks and all that sort of stuff. Um, let's break it down a little bit, Hugh. I guess 
you know, the, let's look at the, the positive, I guess, particularly that first half. Um, you know, someone like Will Genia, to me, you know, continues to be, you know, the spark we need when he runs. Things look good, but he, you know, he had a big play in both those two trials for us. The big pass to Reese Hodge, and then obviously the breakdown, the blind with Corabetti. Yeah, I, I thought he was. I thought he was outstanding, and and um, you know, I think it was a few players returned to form. I mean, you 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 write about. Um, Michael Hooper I thought David Pocock was was played his probably his best game for the rugby championships, um, and it was good to see Marika Korobiti back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought he's the other one, and I, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably well now let's talk about the contrast between him and Israel Falau. I think is start oh, because gosh. you know Korobiti, you know, he, he doesn't have necessarily the natural skill. Um, that many people do, but God, he just goes hard. You know, mm. the way he runs from runs to those kickoffs and make, makes those tackles um, off those long, deep kickoffs, pinning the opposition in their 22 with a dominant. I mean, that's just outstanding. And, and he just did it, you know, throughout some of those covering tackles he made um, running back and, and, you know, tr- saving tries as well as setting up one of his own. I mean, I, I, I was really impressed by him and it was a real, Return to form and, and contrast that with Israel Falah, who, you know, his head doesn't look in the game at all. He, he he's not chasing anyone. He's just sort of ambling around the field and 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 you know you you, you see it in his performance. He, he barely made an impact, and it's hard to see how that same player was was carving up, you know, Super Rugby and 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 carving and scoring some pretty amazing tries this year and and you know almost back to his back to his best and now. You know, it can't just be the change of position. It's got to be something going on mentally as well, and the contract thing's still drawn out, and, and you've got to wonder what's going on with him. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I thought he looked completely disinterested, and his stats, you know, and, and you know, give give credit to the box, but eight runs for eleven meters has got to be one of the worst turnarounds that he's ever provided from an attacking perspective. It was dismal, but he did. He didn't look interested, and you hear these stories that he didn't turn up to the Waratah Awards Day. He was in Melbourne. Um, you know, I'm sure there'd be sto- there'd be uh, information we don't know about who he told and all that sort of stuff. But by all reports, the sponsors and a lot of um, you know, relevant people there weren't happy. I've heard other stories about his preparations in the lead up to the Argentina test that weren't exactly first class in terms of you know what the team expected uh, players to do, and he was one of the ones that did not do that. So it, it's 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 worrying to hear um, those sorts of things, but even more so to see it sort of come out and play during the game because, um, you know, he's such a wonderful player and he, he's crucial to our performance. Um, but he was he was barely a, a factor in that test, which is a massive concern for us. Um, I, I guess, you know, we'll see the results of this um, coming when the team selection and there's already a few rumours about changes. Uh, Nick, from your perspective, the Beal Tamua thing, is it, is it done and dusted? What, how do you feel that went, even putting aside Beal's loose pass to start the game? Yeah, like I think it's it's time for this that attempt. Like it, it was a good idea. It was a, it was an idea that was worth trying. But in all honesty, I think it's time that I think the B ten experiment's really over. I think Tamua has shown a bit more potential um, in in the twelve position. But I think it's the fact that with Beal, he is an extremely talented player and he's very he's extreme he's incredibly focused and, and very good at what he does. My kind of worry about it is, in ter- in terms of uh, where he plays at twelve, um, I feel like he, he, because he plays quite laterally and he because he moves quite a lot, I feel like he kind of has compared to being at fullback, he doesn't have as much of that chance to kind of really pick that magic moment that we that we know that he's capable of. I think that going back to your, your Bernard Foley. Uh, character, who someone who can kind of be a bit more restrained and kind of steer the the troops around, I think is a better option. It was worth a shot, in all honesty, because I mean, he had, Beale has played it at ten before and played very well at ten before. But I think, considering the game plan that Czech wants to play, I think this the ship sailed. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes in at ten, and, and you know, we'll, we'll know in a day or so. I'm, I'm I was one of the ones who was happy to see Beale picked, but I'll, I'll readily admit that it hasn't turned out how I would like. I'm not convinced it's all about Beal, though, um, and it does disappoint me that Foley, we have to revert back to Foley because I, I, I just think his form this year has been pretty uh, poor as well. I don't think we've got much out of him, but 
I think he's our only option tomorrow, I guess, but it's just, you know, throwing another part-time 10 there. I'm not too sure how much he's played for the Tigers. He may well have proved me wrong and played there a fair bit. Hugh, I don't know if you caught me. I, I mentioned this on the forum and, and tweeted something out. There's a, you may have seen it yourself. Um, Jimmy Tucker wrote an article in the paper. Uh, I think it was on Sunday. No, it must have been Sunday. Monday, earlier this week in the Australian and in the Korean Mail, saying that all the travelling media, all of which were the four at the time, were invited. You know, quite uniquely, it's not always done, but they're all tra- they're all invited to um, the Wallabies training session during the week leading up to the South Africa test. So this is a chance for them to see how the Wallabies train. They got sort of insight as to what the strategies were, what the you know what the targets were for that day, what they're trying to achieve, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I guess so they're well informed. So if they're going to be critical of the Wallabies, they could at least see the full picture as opposed to just what they saw. Um, at the game or 15 minutes of the captain's run before the, the, the game. And what Jim reported on was that the long passes, you know, that we were part of the game plan, uh, you know, they were, they were intercepted at training, you know, that, that in, in, during the throughout the week there were three or four intercepts during the week. So they, they weren't bang on then. They, they practised the game plan with lots of inside passes, switch passes, get forwards running up the middle. None of that. We didn't see that in the game. So, you know, is that the players walk, working away from the game plan? Um, and the other comment he made was the line-out. You know, they, they did some line-out sessions during the week and they were a shambles, and his perspective is that was all player-related, not coaching. So there's a couple of interesting things there is that, one, you know, does that show that it, it is the players, once they walk out in the field, that are not following through the game plan or not executing well enough, um, which is one thing, and Hugh, I'd love to give your thoughts on that, but two, is it also checker showing the journos that, hey, guys, it's not just me. These players are pretty damn average. I don't have the right players to work with, which, again, is his selection. Um, what, what's your view on that sort of, um, I guess, analysis or, or perspective? Yeah, it, it's interesting, and, and I think as rugby fans and sporting fans generally, you know, we're always after easy answers, and, and yeah. you know, we want one scapegoat to blame if something goes wrong. We want to you know, it's Kirtley Beal one week, it's Ned Hannigan the next, it's Michael Checker yep. generally this season. And, um, you know, look, I'm, I have sort of come to the conclusion, as most people have, that it probably is time for a, a change of coach just because I think, you know, the game plan looks a bit stale and, and predictable and we keep making the same mistakes. And, and you know, that that's probably indicative of, of time for a change. Um, but... You know, the the players do. You know, I don't think that that a coach is 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 going to automatically come in and change the the players and make you know our line out fully functional and 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 you know the basic skills element, um, you know that uh, completely turn around because that's not something that a coach can really do. Teach people to make good decisions to to pass and to catch to kick. Um, you know, that's stuff that needs to be done at a much earlier stage. Um, and, you know, especially with those super clubs that have the players in their care for six months of the year at least. So, look, it's, it's a complex picture. I think, you know, some blame has got to rest with the players and, and, and talking about some decisions that were made in that, in that game and obviously some pretty poor ones. Um, yeah, my, my, my criticism, I suppose, is of that line-out especially. It's how have we not got... You know, I accept that we had Tatafu pull out late in the day and Falafaing is pretty young and inexperienced. And, and in fact, most of his throws weren't too bad. Mm. It wasn't the reason we were losing lineouts. But, um, you know, where's the calling? Where's the tactics? Where's the intelligence to, to, to think outside the square? Because, you know, if you're ending up, as I said, with Michael Hooper jumping at two... You know, it's that's something, and I suppose if you're just desperate to win your ball by any means necessary, then then okay, we can do that. But as we saw, it completely stifled our set piece, our back line. We we couldn't get the ball beyond the inside center channel, and so you know we couldn't get any first phase. And 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 I've got to say, it was the same for the scrum. I was, I mean, so I think our scrum performed admirably. Yeah, and yep. I was impressed with Taniela Tupo yep. in his start at prop. Um, but, you know, what's our backline? We're doing these starter plays, which just end up running into traffic. I don't know. It, it didn't work, did it? And so, I don't know. The caravan moves on to Argentina. But what's out of that? And I think it's honestly a bit of a do or die. You know, if we lose this game, then Michael Checker's position really is in trouble. You know, it's because it's clearly you can't, you can't make a claim that this team's on an upward trajectory at all. 
Yeah, look, there is no there is no positives from that. Absolutely, there is no upwards trajectory. If there is from one test to the other, it's it's negated the following test far too readily. Um, you know, we, we lose the All Blacks, we beat the up box in Brisbane, albeit a, a box team with a few changes, and then we lose to Argentina on the Gold Coast. So any gains we think we have, we lose pretty damn quickly, unfortunately. You know, the liner, Paul Cully wrote an interesting piece that reckons, you know, considering we had some pretty damn good um, line-outs in Australia, uh, you know, the Queensland one was pretty good, Waratahs was pretty good, um, uh, the Brumbies was was decent as well. Uh, where's it all gone wrong? And I think we now, statistically, according to Optus Sports, our line-outs um, close to the worst in the competition. Uh, it is far the worst. Our line-out success is 73%. You know, less than three-quarters of our line-outs are coming off, which is far below, you know, the other three teams, other three teams in the competition. Um, yeah, as to weakness, it's really interesting. And now I know we've talked about the future of the coaches and all that sort of stuff. We go a little bit off topic from Port Elizabeth. I can't see them chasing Checker. I think Gray and Larkham's days are numbered. I think the... You know, the forwards coach, the big Fijian, uh, and yeah, out of respect, I should learn his name, I'm afraid, but I think he'll be safe only because he's been there the least. Um, but I can't see Gray at least remaining uh, and Larkin this year. I mean, we scored tries last year. This year, we've really struggled to score points, and, and I think that's a big fat issue for us. And I think um, Chaka will stay, and uh, those two will go, and it could happen as. as you know, early as next week or pretty quickly after they come back from Argentina. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, uh, Nick, anything else you want to comment on that test or we'll move on a bit question two there? My, my kind of big worry and concern about the Argentina test is some of the things the players have been saying leading up to it. It's a real case of pride comes before a fall. I mean, for example, with Will Genia saying, we are going to win this test. It's kind of reaching the point now that I kind of feel like they're getting a bit desperate. That when you're talking about, um, say, you know, in, in the past, it's kind of like you go over to Argentina with a, like, kind of going into no brainer. I've kind of am quite worried about hearing comments like that. And also, Dane Haley Petty's comments today saying that we're not really concerned about the end result. I think, you, considering how they're going right now, they should be. They should be worried about that result and they should use that in terms of kind of coming up with a, a tactical plan to beat what is a very good Argentina side. Um, and I feel like saying things like that not only does a bit of a disservice to Argentina, but it, it also I kind of feel like would rile up fans a bit more because fans aren't really buying into this anymore because we've been so, because, you know, we've all been dealing with this recovering the podcast, but we're very frustrated about how this is going. And I feel like their approach to the media as well, it's kind of a real case of pride comes before a fall. And I'm really worried that, you know, after the comp saying things like this, it could be potentially damaging for the team itself and how they actually engage with fans. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I don't have real concerns with Hale Petty's comments. I think he's, you know, he, what he's saying is we, we just need to focus on our game. You know, we need to focus on our skills and how we perform and the results will flow, which I get. It is interesting on the back of what Genia said, and he wrote an article, you know, trying to get, I guess it was a rallying article, get people behind him and all that sort of stuff, saying, you know, we're we're not too bad, we're going to win all that sort of stuff, which there seems to be a dichotomy between those beliefs, between the two of our more senior players. Genia, obviously, very senior. Dane Hallett, better been there for a couple of years. Yeah, from what I hear, it's not a happy camp. They're all feeling the pressure, and, and that's obvious. You know, two wins for the season's a terrible result, and if it continues like this, it's... It's easily the worst of the professional era, and, and you sort of have to go back to the seventies to see a similar type record, and 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 that's when the Wallabies were called, the, you know, the woeful Wallabies. So you know they will be feeling the pressure, and, and I guess they're reacting different ways. That you know, Guinea is a a confidence man; he wants to make sure that you know everyone's seeing the positive, and I guess Hallett Petty's a bit more of a, a pragmatist, um, and, and that's his approach. But there's clearly mixed messages there, I reckon, and that's that's probably where there's a bit of concern there. Um, all right, lads. Let's let's move on away from the Wallabies for the time being. And and today there was, or I guess yesterday, or at least the last twenty four hours, this report dropped um, about this. Uh, and we call it a Brett Papworth letter. It was in cahoots with a few people. So that, you know, I think there's a few names there that we well know that we've heard from before, the likes of Bob Dwyer and Alan Jones. A few other names as well have, have dropped a letter that's 
supposedly going out to all clubs. Hugh, you might want to talk us through it. You wrote a great article about this today. And again, it's worth looking at this on, on our blog for Hugh's response. So, Hugh, do you want to just talk us through the letter, I guess, and that, its broad contents and, and I guess your immediate reaction and, and, and we'll get into it from there. Yeah, so I suppose the, the wider context of, of this is relevant and, and, and it, was a, it was a letter that was, was given to, I believe, Fox Sports and a few others um, and it's sort of a, a sort of rambling screed, you'd call it, um, with a lot of um, interesting uh, diversions into issues of, uh, um, you know, identity politics and, and um, you know, uh, board training and, and some of these other issues. But essentially at the heart of it, it's, you know, the grassroots and, and not being felt um, like they're being given a say. Uh, and that this organisation, the Australian Rugby Clubs Association, is an organisation that looks like they're they're, they're looking to form uh, with a steering committee led by Brett Papworth, and and uh, an email is going to go out. It hasn't gone out yet um, to clubs, to all 800 and something clubs in Australia, and the process that they're wanting, wanting to follow is to put out a, basically a survey to, to all of the clubs to ask them to say, you know, what, 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 uh, they, what issues they think are important. And the Australian Rugby Clubs Association, um, they, they, they're going to listen to all of the complaints of the clubs basically and use that to formulate a policy platform which they'll advocate um, around some sort of a, a, a table, whether that's at Rugby Australia level or, or at a state level, um, I don't think it's really clear yet. And essentially the way that that I believe this would work would be like like a RUPA organisation, but instead for, for clubs. So where RUPA represents the players, this organisation will, will represent clubs and sort of act as one voice for the 810 clubs. And so I've written an article today, this morning, that I, I just sort of um, punched out, which was you know, basically detailing my issues with, with this proposed model. And, and you know, it basically comes back to the, the, the architects of this is the, is the usual suspects, I suppose. It's Brett Papworth, um, Bob Dwyer and Alan Jones, Dick Marks is on there as well, Dilip Kumar along with a few others. And, and look... You know, you can't doubt that their their passion for the games there and the time and effort they've put in over the years. You know, their track record of, of both playing and coaching um, is 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 exceptional, and and I tip my hat to that. And certainly, anyone with ideas about how they want to grow the game and boost the game, we should welcome. I just think that these guys exist, and, and that's sort of that Sydney North Shore um, the A lot of blokes in their forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies, and and look, to put it bluntly, I think they're a bit out of touch. Um, with with what people want, and and not for don't for a second think that I am happy with the way things are going. I, I just think that that um, uh, if there is to be a change of direction and there is to be a, a new approach, I'm not sure these are the guys we want drawing up the blueprint. Now, um, the reason why I know a few more details about that is I did actually reach out to Britt Papworth and and ask him to come on the podcast tonight, and and look, he he's not going to do that. Um, and he's got his reasons, and, and, and I respect that. But the the you know back and forth that we had um, via email was was pretty constructive, I've got to say. And, I, and he he was pretty approachable and open about about the um, the what they're trying to put forward. And and, and look, I I think it's it's not the worst idea. You know, the fact that the clubs should have some sort of association that they can coordinate and and speak through one sort of voice. Um, I just think that, you know, if I just wish it was coming from a different spokesperson, to be brutally honest. He, he Brett, you know, I, I admire his passion, but I think he's too tied to Eastwood. And I think there's a, and, and the response to my article indicates there's a real skepticism about what this is. And, you know, from people that are involved in rugby clubs in Western Sydney, in regional areas in Victoria, which wasn't mentioned, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of people here that are, that are feeling like they're being left out of this. And, and so I think, you know, there's still more to more to play out in this. I'm certainly be watching it with great interest, and, and I, you know, part of me hope, you know, I really do hope they succeed getting that that voice for clubs and, and a little bit greater prominence. I I just think there's a there's um there's a few thorns in the proposal, Reg, and I don't know what your you and Nick thought about it. 
because I've been sort of down in the mud on it all day now, and I've kind of yeah, as 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 my last that ten minute rant I've just got on can indicate. Um, I've got a few thoughts on the issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Nick, why don't you go? I've got a few thoughts, but Nick, what are you? What's your thoughts when you? I guess when you first read the letter and and you know where we need to take things and 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 from that perspective. Well, I agree quite hugely with the perspective that Hugh has mentioned, uh, that Hugh's article kind of touched. And, you know, going on previous things, what a lot of things like you, you mentioned about Pappy's ties to Eastwood, and kind of some of the things that he's said and done in the past hasn't exactly given me much confidence in terms of management and that they really are, you know, stuck in the past. And it touches on a bit of a problem in Australian rugby that irritates me a bit, and that is that people really... See, seem to care about their own backyard and they think about you know in terms of the competition they think about rivalry and how it is on the field and I don't get a sense totally you know in the layout and rollout of this like it it might be pretty much playing into that skepticism that Hugh is talking about but from the fact that it was drawn up by these particular guys I don't get a sense that they really care how a lot of the other teams all around Australia are tracking and how they want to support them. The rivalry is great. Off the, you know, with this game and with this this code of rugby that we play, rivalry and stuff is great off is great on the field. But off the field, you're all one team. You're all playing the same sport. And if you don't support and help out other clubs that are struggling, you won't have a competition. And you don't have to go any further than the fact that you know they didn't even send this to the likes of Parramatta or any of the Western Sydney clubs, or like you mentioned, Victoria. I think with Hugh's tweet today, like the Parramatta Two Blues um, message tweeted to you and tweeted to Hugh and said, we didn't even get it. And it's... Yeah, to, to be fair on that, Nick, I will jump in. I believe it hasn't actually been sent yet, uh, which does beg the question why it's been leaked already. Um, because, I, yeah. you know, I think it's been an ongoing problem with this group of people that they just can't seem to keep things to themselves, yeah. but that does indicate why those clubs haven't got it. It do, Yeah, but it kind of, the fact that this whole situation is, is, is rolling down kind of just frustrates me no end about the state of the game in this country. I mean, how the, the, this kind of state of the infighting and the kind of state of, that there are so many people that are... That are, that are kind of putting their hand up and doing this. It, I mean, it's great that we all care about the game so much, but it's I get a sense that no one's really kind of listening to each to anyone. Um, and and you know, considering the fact that we're fighting against three better organised and better run codes, no wonder we're struggling so much. Yeah, look, it's interesting, and there's a few things here. I think ostensibly one of the big. Um, blockers for a lot of people were the names involved. And, and I probably don't a, have as big a um, uh, Papworth uh, uh, slant or bias there because I'm not in Sydney, so I don't see a lot of that. You know, I'm well aware of his position and heard that some of these previous letters. Jones is the big name for me. And, look, Alan Jones is a does some incredible stuff for rugby, and I, I know that from a grassroots perspective. I've been to a, a number of fundraising events up here in Brisbane where he'll fly up of his own accord and talk off the top of his head for you know, 45 minutes, an hour or whatever, all free of charge to then fly himself back to Sydney. And remarkable, that means a lot for these small clubs, not all, not just all big clubs, but we had him at our own little junior event, uh, junior rugby club uh, fundraising lunch earlier this year. And, he, you know, there's no doubt he draws a crowd and he's got an, he's an amazing storyteller and, and obviously very opinionated. But there's a lot not to like about him. And, and I think we're all probably aware of that. And recent court cases are, are pretty bang on evidence of, of some of his issues. So that's probably the one big factor is the people involved uh, need to be questioned. There's some interesting people involved. Bob, Bob Dwyer, you know, a long-time supporter of Green and Gold Rugby, but also a, a fantastic rugby mind, but very much from that Rand Rakira. Dilip Kumar, former ARU chairman, um, uh, so some, some and Dick Marks, who sort of wrote the coaching bible for Australia in the seventies, and sort of got us back on on um, on the track after that woeful era we had. So th- there, there is no doubt in the credentials, or at least the, the the credentials and abilities of what those guys have brought to the game previously. Underlying this all, and I think we all agree to this, is that we need change. And, and, and Hugh, your article was bang on. The reason why people are stumping up and down, and I'll give you some other examples. 
you know, Brendan Cannon wrote another article for Fox Sports the other day. Now, he's a Fox guy, so that's his job. But it was another, you know, what is going on in Australian rugby? Dan Herbert, who, who again, I know personally and is, is a, is a, whose opinion I rate very highly, but wrote an article, and I don't see Herbie in the press at all. But he came out and wrote this article, you know, sort of saying, we've got to do something about Australian rugby. We've got to change the way we're doing things. Um, you know, I sent out some tweets to a couple of sort of more recently retired players, um, and the response was pretty astronomical, blew my mind in terms of their eagerness to see change, to be involved in some sort of forum to, to change things. And even current players were, were in support of that. Um, you know, guys that are playing professional game now, the Hans Pearson, who's a, a name you guys in Sydney won't know, but he's a president of the Brothers Rugby Club for the last few years. I think he's not there this year, but he has been for the last few years and still loves the game and, 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 and did great things for the Brothers Rugby Club up here. Um, but he, probably a month ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, sent out this, let's let's have this rugby conversation. So similar to what Pappy's doing, but probably a little bit more discreet. And he just wants to get people together in Brisbane who've got an interest in rugby at all levels um, to get together and, and, and start this conversation. So across the nation... People are crying out and they want action. They want a voice. They want to do sea change. They want to do something. And why is that? And Hugh, your article nails it. We're not hearing anything from above. You know, we don't know what the plan is, the strategies for Australian rugby. What are we doing to try and, you know, do to, to, to fix the game, to, to improve the finances, to improve the play, improve the engagement with fans, improve the engagement with clubs, to improve the Wallabies, to see what's happening in the West. What's going on? Um, and Raylene has been there probably, what was it, January she started? It's nine months now. You know, we haven't heard enough from what's happening uh, at the highest points of Australian rugby to understand where we're going. The NRC, where does that fit in things? It just seems to be trundling along. I, I, just, I, think, I just think a lack of communication means we've got all these sort of disgruntled bodies and they start thinking that we have to do things ourselves. And, and that's... That was that's that's what this letter has gestated, and I reckon the Brett Papworth, but it's happening all over the country. It just so happens that you know Pappy Alan Jones and and um, Bob Twy have a, a bit more clout than, with all due respect to Hans himself and and Hugh, you and I sort of thing. So I, I think that's the genesis of it all. We all know what something's wrong. We're all interested in we 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 are impassioned and 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 you know key stakeholders. We want to see this game return to what it once was. Um, and we're all looking for avenues to do it. But when there's nothing coming down from the top, we'll, it's just like sprouting mushrooms all over the place. It's just, you know, it's haphazard and, 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 and no sort of, um, uh, you know, I guess what, united approach. It's it's exactly right, Reg. And even like, let's talk in a micro sense, not a macro sense. Where was railing today? You yes. know? And, and you can't even say, oh, well, you know, the media doesn't want to report on it or whatever. They've got their own site, rugby.com.au, with their own journos that they pay with their own money, you know? Like, it's the equivalent of a, of, of a totalitarian state controlling the media. You can control your own message there, you know? You, and, and, and there's nothing said, you know? All it would have taken was one press release today or one article today from Raylene saying, Here's what we've been doing for the clubs. You know, in fact, uh, Brett Papworth may say one thing. Here's what we think of this situation, and we're always willing to talk to the clubs. Something like that would have, would have, you know, get on the front foot. Yeah. And 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 you know, most organisations would have taken that approach. You know, uh, but but we have a stony silence, and it's it's the hallmark of her regime. Where is she? You know, what what's she doing? Okay, we see her at um, hobnobbing with. Uh, world rugby and and talking women's rugby and pitching for the women's world cup. Well, well, that's fantastic, but, but it, that's it's not really what people care about from day to day. It'd be nice to have, but really, it's not the meat and potatoes of 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 this game and 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 why we're having uh, real problems. Uh, it, it's it's disheartening. It really is. There's just no. I mean, the, the, there's just nothing coming out of that building, and and it it's the the phrase asleep at the wheel comes to mind reg because they could be doing a number of things and and a bloke on the on the on my um article today commented to say well you know i wish we'd see wish the players would get out to public schools and we'd start doing some visits to clubs and the thing is reg 
and you, I know you would know this, but the players do go and visit clubs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that does happen. But the thing is, we just don't hear about it. We, there's, there's no photos. There's no, um, you know, articles. There's no reporting of it at all. So even the stuff that they do well and when there are successes, we don't hear about them. And that's one of the reasons why the discontent is, is festering because no one ever hears any good news and all they ever end up watching is the Wallabies getting flogged on the weekend and, and, and that's the only you know, uh, contact people have with, the, with, the, with Rugby Australia. I mean, it's, it's, it's just yeah, – we, we go around in circles on this for hours. But, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I certainly understand why, why Patworth's doing it because at least he's got something. I mean, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like anyone else has anything at Rugby Australia. Yeah, and it's that rhetoric and, you know, rhetoric, sorry, that Jones comes out and sprouts absolute bullshit. You know, he he, said, he makes stuff up. I, you know, I was listening to his talk at this lunch of ours and half it was bullshit. You know, and, you know, I'm a bit of a history of the, uh, uh, a student of the game and uh, a lot of the stories he just made up, you know, but it, they sound great. But when you've got these people who are not as uh, nerdy as me in terms of the recollection of these things and involved in... I guess, you know, who, who follow the game so intently as this site sort of promotes us to do. They take that on board. And, and, you know, when Jones is telling you that, you know, the clubs aren't getting any support whatsoever and all that sort of stuff, when they don't see any evidence from Rugby Australia that that it is happening, who are they to believe? Uh, the You know, the, the man with the national radio program or something they're not, you know, they're not seeing anyway. So you're right. They've got to be on the front foot of that. But... We need, and I don't know what, whether Klein's gone into hiding since the whole Western Force thing or what's going on, but we, we need something pretty damn quickly from the leadership of Rugby Australia to say, guys, we're in good hands and this is what we're going to do to get us out of this shit because um, we're in it and we, we don't know how to get out, I reckon. All right, lads, let's move on. And, and one of the things Rugby Australia have been involved with in the last couple of weeks, so World Rugby were in town um, a couple of weeks ago, a, a big series of meetings, and were uh, part of it was about those World Cups you talked about, uh, Hugh. But uh, one of the things, and this we might not be able to be able to go into too much information because we don't have all the details. But it was reported um, up north uh, about one of the outcomes from that was a new proposed um, twelve-team competition. So taking place in that July and November international window from about 2020 on. I think obviously next year's a World Cup, so they can't implement it in there. But basically six teams from each hemisphere, being England, Ireland, um, France, Italy, Scotland and Wales from the north, South Africa, Australia, Argentina and New Zealand from the south, um, and plus probably Japan, Fiji. I think it should be the top 12. I don't know if that quite works out like that because I don't think Italy would be top 12 at the moment, but that's how it works out. And then... There's even talk of a second division too, so you're talking the likes of um, that's where the USA, Romania and Georgia would come in. An annual event, most likely 12-team competition split into two divisions, north and south, played over those windows. It'd be, you know, culminate in the top fours. I think that there would be a final, uh, just trying to read the article, final. So there's not much details in it, but it'd take away from a, an island coming out for three tests this year, Um and replace it with what I think would be an expectedly an expanded rugby championship, but with a few other teams in there as well. And then we would travel north at the end of the year and play some of those other teams and ultimately end up in, in, in some sort of grand final. Without the detail there, Hugh, what do you think of that? Is that, you know, do we need to liven things up? The, the, the one positive I see out of it, just sorry to answer this side of things first, is it's it's the, the proposal is um, uh, revenue sharing. So, you know, those teams such as Fiji and I guess Japan and, and Italy and, and, you know, some of those other second-tier countries make it up if it's, if it's, if it's a Tier 2 tier program and um, teams get to sort of make their way into the Tier 1 uh, on success, there's revenue sharing. So, you know, we would have to play tests in Fiji and, and that money would be shared with Fiji, which is great for those sorts of countries. That's about the big positive to it. Is it, is it enough to get you excited about a, a change of structure there, Hugh? Look, I don't know if excited is the right word. I'm certainly curious, Reg. Yeah. I think, I think it's it's you know easy to be cynical about a lot of these things, and I think it. When I initially read the article, I probably was, um, just because you know rugby has a repent create competitions with no meaning, and 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 uh, we've already got enough of them at the moment uh, in the southern hemisphere, um, and you know with structures that aren't easy to understand. The the 
thing that I've thought about more though is is it's it's nice to give it a crack, you know, and if it means more top quality international games uh, that we get to see, we get to play some new teams, um, and you know, it, it it may well take a little bit of pressure off that World Cup every four years, which I think is probably um, a little bit too central in the way that we all look at the game at the moment. Then then it might yeah, be a good, good idea. Point. Look, good I think point. Yep. you know, cricket's got the champions trophy and. It's really never taken off. It's just a sort of an excuse for a tournament. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you when we've won them or how many we've won. Um, so I don't want it to become that, just a, a tournament for its own yeah. sake with a cup that has no meaning. But, you know, I think it's worth having a look at, maybe trying a couple of times, because, you know, the international calendar can be a bit stale. And, and I think I hope it doesn't cut into our June window where we're actually getting a bit of momentum with those three-game series. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be annoyed if we lost those. But if it's once every four years or once every two years, maybe it's something worth looking at. Yeah, that's a good point. Look, I think we lose, I think the proposal is we, we will lose those three test series, which is a shame. We talked about those, uh, particularly this Ireland one, the England one. They were great series. But um, you make a good point because I think this is when we're talking, hearing about strategy. So... We know World Rugby are looking at expanding the um, World Cup to more teams. What is it now? Is it 16 now or 20? They want to expand. It might be up to 24, which is fine. You know, it's great to have more teams and the likes of Russia and Spain and all these sorts of guys are making strong cases. Um, uh, Germany uh, as well. But that's going to weaken that, you know, the, the weaken that competition, but it's great to have that representation. Maybe this top 12 competition with a, t- a tiered system underneath um, provides a little bit more structure and, and meeting through those intermittent years in between. Um, what about you, Nick? I know you know it's all a little bit airy fairy at the moment. We don't have a lot of detail, but what's your sort of, I guess, indicative opinions on that sort of structure? Well, I do think it's reflective of World Series Rugby's goal to expand the game. The big kind of positive I take out of it is that second division. Um, because yeah. we often never hear about the likes. It gives us the chance to see those growing nations, the likes of, of Georgia, who have been playing legitimately good rugby and have become serious, con- uh, like proper contenders. Um, you know, within within the within European rugby, and the and the other ones that really excite me are the Americas, the nation, the growing nations in the Americas. I mean, we I was chatting to. Paul Tate on the drop kickoff a few weeks back, and he couldn't stop being talking about how excited he was about the fact that you've got the likes of Uruguay and the United States, which has been developing a whole uh, whole program, and there's the fact they're starting a whole new competition with Canada, um, and over the next couple of years, and the fact that we'll now have like with this competition get the chance to see the growth of the game on a global scale, I think it really is positive. It's a positive mood move by World Series by by World Rugby. Um, I, I, it's, I'm curious as to how they're gonna um, they're going to implement it, and I'm also curious. Like I think it's not going to be like it's not going the British and Irish Lions tours won't be affected either. So it's just a matter of see more. I need we need to see more data on this. We need to see how these what this competition would actually look like, and then from that, like Hugh says, just see if this is something that kind of, you know, if this creates something that has meaning. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Look, you know, so I think we are all curious, um, wary, uh, and, and that just comes with more information. And obviously this was, uh, you know, a single article that's been cross-referenced many, many times. But um, there's enough there to spark some interest, I think. We just want to see a bit more deeper detail happening. Um, next one is Tweeball Lad. So there's been a bit more development here. And again, on the back of those World Rugby appointments, and, and there's some... Um, promotional photos sent out with Twiggy having photos with uh, Raylene Castle and very interestingly Steve Chu from New New Zealand Rugby Union as well involved there. Um, So for the first time we're hearing a little bit more concrete um, uh, involvement of uh, New Zealand Rugby. So a couple of things here. So Western Sydney looked to have a team and the rumours are Darren Coleman will be coach, the Sydney Rays and the Warringah Rats coach. Um, He's already tendered his resignation from Warringah I believe and and the indication are he's, he's gunning for that um, Western Sydney team head coaching spot. But for the first time, we're hearing there might be a New Zealand team. So 
Nick Taylor from the West Australian sort of wrote an article, uh, I think, last week saying that it looks like there'll be next year, at least there'll be a kickoff in March, expected to include two sides from Japan and one from New Zealand, which might be a possible all-star team from the Mitre 10, but also Fiji, Hong Kong, Hong Kong Singapore and Sydney. Um, and then maybe some growth in the next five years. So basically um, clubs will be owned by companies, uh, individuals or nations, unions or current management, not tied to a salary cap. Uh, there'll be marquee players who will be directed to clubs. Uh, competition will be played between March and June next year over a 14-week home and away season. Uh, top four sides will go into a three-week sudden death final series. Interesting part of that, I just sort of cross reference without knowing the details of that series, but cross reference that with the Super Rugby draw for next year. Um, I reckon they will make it conflict with the finals. I think their three-week final series will conflict with the Super Rugby three-week final series. So... You'll have um, qualifying finals, semi-finals, and the grand final all on the same weekends. We'll see how that happens. But um, uh, Nick, you know, Twiggy Ball, we've heard lots about. This is probably the most detail we've heard from a while, albeit not formally from uh, Western Australian rugby just yet, but uh, from someone very close to the to the scene. Uh, how does that make you feel? Well, it's good to finally have more details after hearing about this this competition for you know getting on to, you know, over over a year or so. And it is, I mean, it is good that it is now greenlit and that there is something set in stone. And, it, you know, the, the fact that the force will still be surviving, it gives a lot of hope to all those rugby fans in, in Western Australia. And on top of it, it also provides a lot of hope for folks in, in Western Sydney. I think a lot of the initiatives such as the marquee details, uh, you know, the marquee players and, and the, all competing for, I think it's a $1 million purse as well, um, is, um, is a good small details to add to the game. My kind of concern, though, about this is in terms of how it will benefit the, the game at a national level, how will it affect the game as a whole? Because I feel like it's a bit of a hodgepodge. How will, how will this competition affect, kind of like you mentioned, your Super Rugby competitions, your NRC competitions, even down to the Shoot Shield. I mean, like you mentioned, Darren Coleman's going in. How will that affect the club players at the Rats? I mean, Coleman's a very um, Coleman's a very uh, senior coach in the in that competition. And really, my kind of I am kind of you know optimistic and hopeful that the competition will do well. But my worries really just come you know it falls at the feet of the Ben Darwin theory. You're going to have so many players, or so many teams, so many different perspectives, and then, the, and it might affect how the combinations and how this translates into a successful Wallaby side in a, in a nation um, rugby. You know, us having greater depth in from a rugby perspective. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Yep, fair point, Hugh. What about yourself? Look, I'm happy. Uh, I mean, cautiously optimistic is, is a good way of putting it. I think, you know, this was something, this is something that's got the potential to be a real game changer. So, you know, in, in a literal sense. Um, and that's that's great. And, and Twiggy is actually, the, the you know, the real joker in the pack when it comes to yeah. Australian rugby. And, and, you know, we spoke about Brett Patworth and, and Raylene Castle and, and need for change. Well, you know, if he can get behind someone or do it himself he's got the the power to really move some things along um and you know i think again i was trying to put my skepticism aside with twiggy ball because i really wanted it to happen and i'm really happy now that it seems like it's it's approaching something that's going to be a good product i think early days it was worrying that you were going to be sri lanka and and you know malaysia and some of these places that, that you know i just sounded a little bit hokey you know a little bit contrived but now with western sydney with new zealand with fiji you know we've seen how good the Indrua are and how much talent's on that island and you know there's no reason to believe western sydney can't be similar um now we've actually got a rugby tournament that could could actually unearth some people and that's exciting and 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 you know we could get a wallaby that comes out of left field completely out of the world series and how good's that going to be so if I were Raylene Castle, I'd be I'd be um, saying, bring it on. Where do we where do we join up, and how can we help? Because um, it's it's you know one of the rare good things happening in Australian rugby, and the, I I, I want to hear more about it because I, because 
you know, I think it's going to be, um, I'm, I'm becoming more optimistic the more I read about it. Yeah, you're right. But these are one of those challenges for Raylene is that, um, yeah, I'm a group. I'm in totally good agreement. I think it's really positive. And even, you know, you talk about producing Wallabies, but even someone like James O'Connor, who wants to come back and qualify for the World Cup, and I can understand every Super Rugby team not wanting to touch him, but if he wants to play for Western Sydney in, in World Series Rugby, he'll be eligible for the Wallabies. That's his chance. You know, let's see how serious he is. And he's a super talented player. And he, you know, he, at full talent, he's worthy of Wallaby contention. But I can understand why he's burned a few bridges in Super Rugby and, and what an opportunity for him. But Raleen's challenge with Western Sydney, and I know there's been talk about trying to uh, ensure that the shoot shield players don't get touched, but they can't do that. I mean, if this is a professional opportunity, those players will want to play um, the highest level they can, whether that be for Western Sydney in World Series Rugby or, or Super Rugby or, or elsewhere. So it's uh, it's really exciting. and it's We can only wait and see, you know, how these teams shape up and develop. The New Zealand one's really interesting. You know, I, I hadn't wasn't aware of any sort of discussion with New Zealand previously, but that... That mean you know, they're you know they're good operators over in New Zealand rugby obviously so if they see interest in this um, you know it, it's got some legs the standard of that team might attend we don't know but that might be appropriate for this competition with the Hong Kong Singapore and stuff but yep great start uh, well not a start but a great next step great development and uh, we'll look forward to seeing how that develops further um, all right what's next NRC times isn't it I think it's um, we just want to see. So it's a couple of weeks to go in the competition. How's it feeling? How do we think this is shaping up? Nick, you're all things NRC at the moment. How do you think it's it's sitting at the moment? I think it's um, pretty damn good. I think we had a bit of a whinge. There was one round. Was It might have been three or four where the scores blew out. But other than that, I think every week of competition has been pretty damn good. Yeah, it has been good. It's And what's what's even more kind of encouraging is that I, I, I'm – you know, watching all of these games, and it looks more and more and more to me that the crowds are kind of there's there's larger crowds coming, there's more people coming, and there are more people taking notice of it. I mean, going back to that point, uh, you know, we had the the derby match at, uh, at West Rugby Club on the weekend between Country and City, and the crowd there there was there was people all around the ground, and it was such a nice sight to see that people are starting to have a look at this competition and find it interesting and find it something that is a valuable part of of the of the uh, of Australia's pathway um in terms of the actual competition I think you know it's good to see Brisbane City kind of switch it on in the last few in the last few rounds because they have so much talent and they do they they should be a contender for the top four placing and I think really you know the Drua are, are obviously the team that is is currently you know the trend there's they're setting the they're setting the standard because at home they're absolutely untouchable um, playing outstanding rugby and the force as well. Likewise, they're also at home playing outstanding rugby. And I think the Vikings are pretty much guaranteed to be safe in terms of finishing in third place. So I really think it's a toss-up between city and country for who t- takes that fourth semi-final position. Um, but kind of going away from that, the quality of the games have been have been really good as well. I mean, you could even go down to the Rising that are in sixth. Yes, they've only got the one win, but. Aside from that one game in Fiji, they've only been a few points off from winning a lot of those games, and it, it's, it points to the fact that even though they lost, you know, four games, they've still got a positive points differential. They're still playing. And, and yeah, yeah, three bonus points, so they've been close losses. You're right. That's right. They're still playing great rugby, and so there's so six teams are playing really, really, really good rugby, and. Uh, but I'll, I'll have to talk about this canary in the coal mine. And it is so frustrating for me being down here in Sydney and seeing oh, yeah. these two New, New South Wales teams playing like absolute crap. Um, it's really frustrating. Like, I can see that they that they are putting a genuine effort in. They are really having a crack. But it goes to show that this year, when it comes to the management of the NRC, it's just, they're, they're just a cut below right now. And it's quite frustrating considering, you know, that that you're that this there's there's a lot of Waratahs and there's supposed to be players from, you know, from the Shoot Shield in this in these clubs. And it, and again again it goes back to you know those articles that Johnny Football over at the Raw's been putting out. It's just so frustrating to see what two teams. I mean, especially the Sydney team, who should be a heavyweight 
in this competition go out and routinely have, you know, thrashings of them getting 50 points or more put on them at week in, week out. And it's I find that really frustrating. And from a New South Wales perspective, it's a real dampener on what is a, a great competition. And it, I really hope that, you know, with New South Wales rugby kind of be, taking the lead with this, that they learn a lot from what's been going wrong this year and use it um, to to hopefully next year make the teams a lot more competitive because there is talent there. It's And it's frustrating that the New South Wales teams haven't won a toast rack in in the five years this competition's been going because they should. There is the talent there for it. Yeah, they've been massively disappointing. Talk about those positives. The, the Drua are just sensational. I, I raved about them. I think when Fijians play rugby at its best, I don't care if it's sevens or fifteens, there is nothing like it in global sport, I reckon. It's just superb. What they did on the weekend in the wet um, against New South Wales country, who were you know pretty poor themselves, but who had a very, very decent forward pack, was unbelievable. Some of the skills they showed, the offloading support play. And, and then I you know, compared that to how the Wallabies play and the structures they have in the forwards where it's also one-dimensional and, one-dimensional and static and there's no thought about offloading or anything like that. And you compare that to the Drua who, you know, the line-up behind each other supporting at depth and just expecting the offload. And it's just monumental, the, the difference between it and the skills they have. It's superb to watch. And they bring in these new players who, you know, we haven't heard of and, there's, you know, they're locals on the competition over there and they're, and, and they're fantastic. So congratulations to Fiji. It's scary to think that, you know, the, the Fiji Test team will be in our World Cup pool next year because I think we're actually helping them develop some very, very good players there. And, um, you know, with the, the likes of Semi Radradra and the, from the European competition from France and all that sort of stuff, they'll be a very capable team next year. And it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if our current state of Wallabies continues, that they knock us off at some stage. But, mate, I do want to say you... So I think the NRC is going great guns. You know, we had that one round that uh, was a bit questionable, but I think it's really exciting phase. The Brisbane-Queensland country game last weekend was fantastic. Um, very high-quality. Canberra-Melbourne was pretty decent as well. Uh, the two New South Wales teams, unfortunately, not so good. But Canberra, mate, you reckon they're locked in, mate? They travel to Fiji this weekend, so they've got Fiji away, and then they face Brisbane City away in that last week as well. So I don't reckon they're as a shoo as you might think, um, whereas the two Queensland teams face New South Wales teams this weekend. So, you know, that's a good opportunity to get some new points. And then next week, uh, Queensland face New South Wales country, and then Brisbane obviously have Canberra. So those teams will be putting on their guns and... The Force look okay, yeah. uh, although that last round, round seven, the Force versus Fiji over in Western Australia should be an epic final and you know, sort of final game of the NRC. So uh, very exciting stuff. Have the Vikings got any more home games or are they done? They done? No, they're done. They are oh, done. Okay. Yeah. So just two rounds to go for them, for, for everyone, but they're in Fiji this weekend and then they play Brisbane at East Rugby Club next weekend. Ah, oh, okay. It's Well, it is... Like, I think judging by... there was a, I think the game that I really took a lot out of in regards to the Vikings was their win against the Force, which I thought was a real indication of the potential that they have as, a, as, the, um, as, they, as they move along and, and that, that they've shown throughout this season. It's it, the fact that, um, that they're going up against Fiji. I mean, I've been looking at some of the, Fiji, uh, some of the Fijian players they, or Fijian fans, and they go, well, this is actually, you know, this is a team that, we reckon will offer us a real solid challenge goes to show that I think Canberra is doing, is playing really good rugby. And if they were to pull off a big win here in, you know, in Fiji, it would affect it. It would pretty much all but guarantee them uh, a top. You know, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, what's kind of, even though it's frustrating, the NRC competition is so short. What is kind of exciting about it is, is that every match kind of can. It's really meaningful. It is meaningful, and it is interesting to me that you know the fact that there's been you know the, the turnout in in Brisbane has been a lot better, and the turnout yep. of at, at, at the um, in in the West and in Queensland has been absolute, has been really good as well. They're getting like four five thousand people to games. It says a lot that people are really starting to care about these games and are really starting to get a sense of passion behind these teams, which I think is great. I mean, it's good to see that. That that growth. I mean, yes, the competition isn't perfect, and yes, New South the New South Wales teams need to improve. But it's good to see that people are more invested in this and seeing the talent coming through as well. Yeah, indeed, um, lads. That's going to wrap us up. 
uh, there. So, yeah, a good last, second last round of the NRC this week where we've got uh, Fiji host Canberra on Saturday, um, Queensland Country host Sydney Rays, uh, down the Gold Coast, New South Wales Country hosting Brisbane City. Oh, gosh, I think is that at Scully Park, Tamworth? No, oh, no, sorry, Camden Rugby Club. It's, yeah, sorry. And then uh, Melbourne hosting the Force, um, which won't be in Melbourne, will it? That must be, uh, uh, was that? Geelong. Geelong, yep. Um, a bit more about the rugby this weekend as well. We talked about the NRC under-19s, inaugural under-19s competition, which kicked off this week. That culminates on Friday. Um, and the two Queensland teams, would you believe, are in the final there. So Queensland Country are playing Brisbane City in the final of that. The Australian schoolboys team are playing their tri-nation at the moment. So the Australian schools are playing, taking on Tonga and New Zealand, as well as the Australian schools barbarians. So this Saturday... Out at Ballymore, there's um, the Australian Schools Barbarians team are taking on Tonga. It's effectively Australia A team. And then Australian Schools are taking on New Zealand Schools uh, at about 5pm uh, Brisbane time. Um, remembering, oh no, Dallas Seven kicks off Sunday. So 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. I reckon they'll be on rugby.com.au live stream. So um, New Zealand looked pretty damn good. They smashed the Barbarians um, and we beat Tonga pretty comfortably. But um, that'll be a whole step up for the Australian Schools team. But always good rugby to watch. Um, lads, anything else? Hugh, yourself, mate, anything else we need to touch on before we wrap up? No, no. Our game against Argentina, the beautiful oh, Sunday that's right. morning There is a test game. match, isn't there? Yes. yes. Cavatino rugby. Um, yeah, so nothing. It's probably the best time sort of the year. Just have your uh, your avocado on toast or your, uh, yep. your omelette or, or bacon and egg roll in front of the TV at 8 a.m. It's going to be great. Yep, we'll be very, very good. So enjoy that. Nick, thanks for joining us today, mate, stepping out of the producer's booth for a, an hour or so. Yeah, always a pleasure, mate. And uh, we'll hopefully be having another drop kickoff pod coming up around the corner as well. So Excellent. Good stuff. And to all our listeners, thanks for joining in again. You know, jump in the forum and, and engage and let us know your thoughts on all those various competitions and announcements. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and until next week, we'll speak to you then. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.